talking and it don't make sense Tell me what it's all about The truth is stranger the closer you get To the who, what, where, when, how Absurd is the word, guess what I heard Absurd is the word, guess what I heard Guess what I heard Guess what I heard Hey guys, this is Know What I Heard. I'm Jamie, and this episode is about Huntington's disease. If you're not familiar with Huntington's disease, it's a neurodegenerative disorder that breaks down or changes the brain over time. It affects the mind, the emotions, and the body, and has been compared to ALS, Parkinson's, and Alzheimer's all in one can cause everything from impairment of eye movement, speech, swallowing, and balance to causing irritability, agitation, and outbursts. It's a very, very serious disease and not a lot of people know about it. So I wanted to bring some awareness and learn more about the disease. So I reached out to Shelby Lentz. I had seen a video that she posted on YouTube talking about her diagnosis of Huntington's and her family's history. Her grandfather and her father both have Huntington's. Shelby was diagnosed at 19. She's now 24 years old, and she actually lost her sister Brianna to juvenile Huntington's on Easter of 2020. So Shelby was gracious enough to join me and share her story and discuss her nonprofit called Champions for HD. So please go to championsforhd.org slash donate and help find a cure and raise awareness for Huntington's. So here's Shelby's story. Thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. Oh my goodness. Thank you for having me. I'm glad we were able to make this work. Yeah, me too. If you wouldn't mind just kind of telling your story and like your family's history and yeah, absolutely. Well, I have to ask because I'm curious, what brought you to Huntington's disease? Do you have a indirect or direct connection to it? No, I was actually talking to a friend about it one day, and we were like, "That's just one of those diseases that you hear about, but people really don't know." much about it there's not a whole lot out there you know and it's it's kind of like ALS until there was like the ice bucket challenge nobody knew a damn thing about it I was like that's just something that needs to be out there explained and it's not like I'm Joe Rogan or anything but I (laughs) you know feel like it's something that I can do to kind of bring some awareness to it so that was absolutely and I I would speak for everyone in the HD community when we would say that we really appreciate that because like you said if you would ask me about six or seven years ago I would have had no idea what you were talking about um, so it's crazy how much can change in just a matter of years but it officially came into my life in 2015 and my grandfather was diagnosed at in his late 60s and it's one of those diseases where uh, my family had heard about it but there was no genetic tests until the mid 90s. And so it wasn't something that was really brought up just because we didn't know enough about it. Um, But my great grandmother had passed away with what they thought was schizophrenia and come to find out later, (laughs) 
it was Huntington's. And the only reason my grandfather ever ended up actually going through with the testing process was because of the way that my father was acting towards my grandparents. Growing up, they had a great relationship until one day they didn't. And to this day, I don't really know why, but he had symptoms of Huntington's and we didn't know it at the time. So the breaking point was when my father was over at my grandparents with my brother and my sister and got into an altercation. And my grandmother told my grandfather, all right, this is your wake up call. You need to get tested. And he decided that that was that was the, the time to go ahead and get tested. It was a strange process because when they told me that he was positive, I had no idea what it was. Um, my grandfather was also just coming out of cancer. And so when I heard about it, I thought it was just a side effect of having the type of cancer that he had because of his age. And that was the only thing I could come to grips with. And then once he was diagnosed and my dad knew that he was at risk, I knew that I was potentially at risk. But again, it was something that I tried not to think about too heavily because my father hadn't even been tested. So I didn't know if I even had a reason to be worried at this point. And then in the summer of 2016, my younger sister, Brianna, who at the time was 11, she was very ill and we didn't know what it was. She had been misdiagnosed many times with diseases and disorders I couldn't even pronounce or name. Um, but she was on these really strict diets that at one point they thought she had something with her bone marrow was off. And when we found out that Huntington's could potentially be a factor, we knew that this was something that my father also needed to get tested for. And he was very reluctant. And I understand why you don't want to know that you could potentially have a disease that could change your life for forever. But with Brianna being so sick and really having no clarity as to why this was really the only thing that made sense. Unfortunately, for better or for worse, the way that the testing process works, it's very tricky. I have talked to people who have gone through a different type of process, but the core process that most people go through is you go to a genetic counselor, and then once you go to the genetic counselor, you go into therapy, then you go and you see a neurologist, and you go through all these different steps because if you get diagnosed, whether it be positive or negative, there is a very high chance of depression, mental health issues, um, at some point suicide. And they want to make sure that you are ready for whatever that test result might be. So my father decided to go through the process once we realized that Brianna was declining and we didn't know why. And in summer of 2016, he got back that test result, which was positive. And Brianna went right into her testing process. After my dad told me that he was positive, I immediately wanted to know whether or not I had it. And that's something to this day I still can't really explain. A lot of people who are at risk for HD are really terrified of the unknown and whether or not they want to go through the testing process is a very heavy subject. But for whatever reason, I had this gut reaction and I never looked back. I just knew that for me and the way that my mind and my, my heart works, I needed to know to either take away the notion that I might have it if I had a negative diagnosis or to be proactive and be a spokesperson for it. So 
I called my dad's genetic counselor, I think within 24 or 48 hours after he had called me and told me that he was positive. And I called her and said, you just diagnosed my father and I want to get tested. And at the time I was 19 and for a 19 year old to decide that she wants to get this genetic test, it was very abnormal. So of course she called me back right away and started talking to me a bit and decided to make an appointment for me. So I went in in July, but because of how long the testing process takes, I wasn't able to finish it before I was supposed to go back to my sophomore year of college in Nashville, Tennessee. So my mom begged and pleaded with me not to get the blood work done and the test result until after I came home from my sophomore year because negative or positive, it's going to impact your mental health. And the last thing that my mom wanted was her daughter to get this life-changing diagnosis of a positive or negative diagnosis and then have to be sent back to school by herself while she's trying to manage school and work and all these normal things on top of having a potential disease. So I went back to school and it actually was the day I moved into my dorm my sophomore year. I, uh, at the time, was living with my mom and my stepdad, so they were the ones who helped me move in, and two of my sisters were there as well, and as soon as they left my dorm, I remember my roommate was out with her family, and they shut the door when my parents left, and I got a call from my dad. I'm not sure what happened when we were recording, but for some reason, Shelby's audio cut out at this point, and this was when she was actually explaining that she received a call from her father that her sister Brianna had tested positive for juvenile Huntington's disease. And that was the moment that hit the hardest, I would say even more than my own eventual diagnosis, just because she was only 11. And she had the juvenile form, which is much more aggressive than the adult onset. And it's crazy to think about because the adult onset is already bad enough. But with an adult, it's a typical, typically a slower progression, 15 to 20 years. But with a child, it is rapid. And there's nothing at this point in time we can do to not only cure it, but even just slow it down. And with the DNA, the way that they explained it to me was if you have a normal repeat, like my mother did when I got tested, you you have Huntington's on your DNA, but not everyone expresses the amount of repeats that would give you the symptoms. So my mother's was 16, very normal. My grandfather, who has HD, is 42. And they say anything above 39, at some point you'll express symptoms. Uh, my dad's is 44. Mine is 49 and Brianna's was 88. So that just goes to show you how excessively high her DNA result was. So I, I knew it wasn't good. And what was supposed to be a great second year of school went downhill real fast without even having my test result back at that point in time. I still got very depressed. I went into probably one of the hardest years of my life and... I definitely grew a lot from it, but it was very hard. I was supposed to be out performing, writing music, doing fun things with my friends when I wasn't in class. And all I ever wanted to do was just be in my bed. And I really couldn't find the will to do anything except for the bare minimum that my my heart and my mind would allow me to do. I actually started seeing an on-site therapist at my university because my mom knew that I was not doing well, and it broke her heart that her daughter is now 
500 plus miles away from home and she has all this news that she has to try and cope with on her own. Fortunately, my roommate, she was going through her own diagnosis of a very rare disease called Englers-Danlos disease, something along those lines. And it's even more rare than Huntington's. So I felt like God put her in my life for a reason, because at that point in time, I needed someone to kind of understand what I was going through. And she had just been diagnosed herself. So we went through the year. I would get phone calls from my dad telling me that Brianna was declining. Brianna wasn't doing well. Brianna was in the hospital. And whenever Brianna went to the hospital, it was just to make her comfortable, which sounds so it was it was so sad just because there's nothing you can do for a child who has juvenile Huntington's except for keeping them comfortable. And I finally got to March where it was time to do the blood draw when I came home for spring break. And I remember telling my roommate that I I knew I had HD and she couldn't understand why. She said, you haven't even had your blood draw yet. You haven't had your final appointment. You don't know that. And I kept calling it my gut, but I'm spiritual. So now I'm looking back, I think it was God giving me a sign that I had Huntington's and he was preparing me for that moment when I had to walk into the doctor's office and hear it and preparing myself for what I was going to do next. So March comes and goes and May is when I'm supposed to be coming home from school. And I had my appointment set for the end of the month. I think I was coming home the middle of May and I had it set for two weeks after I had gotten back home. And I was working a retail job at the Grand Ole Opry and we had a show that night and I broke down crying on my break. And I called my genetic counselor super late at night, left her a voicemail and just asked her if there was any way I could get in sooner because not knowing was just killing me. It was eating me alive. And she called me back the next day. She said, when are you home from school? I'll get you in the next day. So I drive home and the very next morning on a Friday, I go right into the genetic counselor's office. And throughout the testing process, you have to have someone who is there as a support system for you because it's it's a lot of emotional weight that you're carrying throughout this entire testing process. So my mom was my companion and she was there the moment that I got the result. And I I still to this day can't quite remember what that moment was like because I I had prepared myself for it. And when she put down the piece of paper that showed my uh, genetic repeat, which was 49, I everything went blank. All I remember was the room started spinning. My mom was bawling and I froze. I did not cry until six months after the fact. The genetic counselor just looked at me and she said, I'm so sorry at some point you will express symptoms of Huntington's according to your repeat. Um, And then she started giving me brochures and pamphlets about resources and different support groups I could go into. And thank God the next day there was actually a really big Huntington's disease event really close by that was being put on by the Huntington's Disease Society of Michigan chapter. So I got to jump right into a very connected and supportive community the day after, which I'm so thankful for. But it was still a lot to process. And I just kept thinking to myself, okay, how am I going to make the most of this? I can either be a victim to it or I can be a victor and overcome it. And when I say that, I always have to tell people that doesn't mean that you don't go through the mental health struggles. It doesn't mean that you don't go through days where you don't know how you're going to get through it or that you're crying or you feel like you can't get back up. But it's just the fact that you continue to getting back up on the days where you do feel strong enough. 
And I just knew that I wanted to speak about it openly. And thankfully, I I have been so blessed that the people in my family are open about it just because of our circumstances. Um, I have some other family members who aren't as open, but my immediate family is. So I've been able to be vocal, share our story. I have been competing in the Miss America organization for, oh my gosh, almost 10 years now since I was a teenager. And so in this organization, we have a social impact that we go out, a cause that we promote throughout our, our entire year as a title holder. And I had had so many different different organizations that I'd represented. And when this happened, I knew I needed to start promoting Huntington's disease. And I actually was able to educate so many people in the Miss America side of things about HD that had never heard of it before. And then once I started doing that, I had a friend who owns a bar and I've been playing there as a singer. And in 2018 or 2017, it was late 2017 after I'd been diagnosed, he said, I think you should start a nonprofit. And I remember looking at him and going, what do you mean you think I should start a nonprofit? That's that's insane. And he said, you are so open about your story. You perform your lyrics and you share your story so vulnerably. Why not start a nonprofit and get to choose who you get to help and who gets to benefit from it? So I let it sink in. Um, he had offered to help me set it up. He had an attorney that all ready to go. <laughs> So I just had to pull the trigger and do it. So I took him up on it. And in April of 2018, I went in, I signed all the paperwork, and we officially became a 501c3 nonprofit. And we are in our third year almost. Um, And that helped me so much throughout this whole process, because I was able to think that this happened for a reason and that we've been able to help other families who are experiencing very similar situations to what my family went through. That makes it all worth it because I've been there when my dad was waiting to get approved for disability. With Huntington's, it can take two to three years um, on the longer stretch because it's very, the cognitive is typically the first to decline rather than the physical. And with that being said, it's harder to tell cognitive decline. And so when my dad would go into the courts to fight about disability, he had been unemployed on and off for about 10 years since the recession. But then after the recession, he still couldn't keep a job. And it was just because he mentally could not keep up. So he couldn't prove to a judge for a long time, even with his the diagnosis and the paperwork proving that he was declining. So wow. finally, after he had kept appealing and appealing, they finally approved it. And There were moments where, you know, Brianna would be in the hospital. She was in the hospital almost exclusively the year I came back home in 2017. And it got to the point where mentally I could not think of going back to Nashville and getting phone calls like I did my sophomore year and just worrying about her. So I made the very, very difficult decision to pick up my life, move back home, go to a local university that I did not want to go to. I had sworn I would never go to the same university everyone in my family went to, but things change, you know, God has a plan. And looking back on it, I'm really grateful I did just to be surrounded by my loved ones, but also because Brianna was in the hospital all the way through almost December of that year consistently. And I would not have been able to drive up from Nashville to Michigan every time I got a phone call. 
And I don't think mentally I would have been strong enough to have to listen to her be in pain or worrying over the phone. And so I was able to go to class and go to work. And then in between those two, the hospital that she was staying at was just a couple miles down from my university. So I could go in between classes. I could stay the night and get up the next day. And looking back, those are the moments that I I would have missed out on. And so even though at the time it didn't feel like I was doing the right thing, I'm so grateful that I did. And in retrospect, I don't think I would have ever started Champions for HD if I would have stayed in Nashville. It, it came full circle because when I was in Nashville, just about a year before I found out about Huntington's, I had a really close friend of mine. We went to Belmont together and we both mutually love Rocky Balboa. <laughs> My mom got me all inspired and just in love with the Rocky movies at the end of my high school time. And uh, so we got together to write a song and we wanted something that felt powerful, uplifting and just inspiring, something that when people get done listening to, they want to take on the world. And we both agreed that the Rocky movies make us feel that way. So we said, why not write a song inspired by all of the incredible things that Rocky's character has said throughout all of the movies. So we started digging in and wrote this song called Champion. And then I ended up recording it and releasing it in Nashville. And after I released it was when I found out about Huntington's. And so even though I felt like in the moment I was writing it for someone else, it ended up being something that like saved me mentally and inspired the name of the nonprofit because so many people in the Huntington's disease community latched onto it. So it made absolute sense to name this nonprofit Champions for HD. And it's been so therapeutic to be able to talk about this, but to be able to be a light. And that's why I ended up making the Huntington's disease video that I did that I put on YouTube. Um, which is why I think it's so awesome that that's how you found me and connected with me. Um, because I had tried to make that video for the entire three years since I've been diagnosed. So for three years, I would sit down in front of a camera and I would cry or I just would go blank and I couldn't do it. <laughs> I thought that I was so strong. I thought that I was going to be able to just sit down and spill it out. And I couldn't do it for three years. And those three years, I didn't even post anything on my YouTube channel. I was just silent. I was processing. I was grieving because the life that I had before Huntington's and the life that I had after it, it was like grieving an actual death because the Shelby who didn't know about Huntington's was gone. And now I had to cope with what is life with Huntington's. So in January of this year, I finally felt strong enough to do it and release this video. And I just wanted to do it ultimately to raise awareness. And hopefully if someone went on Google, like I did after I got diagnosed and saw the terrifying images that come up from WebMD and Wikipedia, they would have something else to look to, a person who has an actual story and is not just another scary picture to feel comfort in that they're fighting this too. And I'm not feeling alone in my thoughts, but I also wanted to do it for me to finally just let it all out. And so I expected to maybe get a couple hundred views. And I checked the video this morning and it just surpassed 15,000 views today, Wow! which is insane. And I, I feel very blessed because almost once a week since I have released that 
video. I've had someone emailing me, messaging me on different social media platforms and just saying, I'm at risk. I have HD or my spouse, my father, my loved one. And I felt like I was alone. I had no resources and your video gave me hope or your video made me feel like I'm not the only one going through this. And that to me has been worth absolutely everything. That's all I wanted to do it for. And when I got diagnosed, the first thing that I heard from my sister, Brianna, at this point in time, she could still speak. By the time we got to the end of 2017, she was, whew, she was in a wheelchair. Um, she had a feeding tube placed in December of 2017 and she could no longer walk or swallow on her own. Um, and eventually she lost her ability to talk. So in May, when I had gotten diagnosed, she was still able to have um, somewhat of a conversation. And uh, she pulled me aside and she said, well, now that we both have it, we get to fight it together. Mm -hmm. And I, I will still never forget that moment because in that moment, like it all clicked. And I said, OK, if it just makes my little sister feel like she's got a companion now, then I'm OK with it. And I know that sounds crazy because I know that the roller coaster that could potentially be coming if we don't have a cure sometime soon for me. But um, that was one of my most favorite moments ever. And after I released that video, I was in the middle of editing it when I got the phone call in January that Brianna, at this point in time, it was a month before she turned 14, that she was put on hospice. And that's what life is with HD. It's just you never know what is coming next. And ultimately, you hope you don't know what is coming next. But at some point, you have to stop denying the process of it. And so we had to figure out what was next, how to cope, how to get through this next hurdle, because you always think it'll be later, um, you know, I didn't think she would lose her ability to walk as soon as she did. I didn't think she would lose her ability to eat as soon as she did. And then when it hits you that it's coming towards the end, you don't really know how to process it. And so in April, three months later, I was at my apartment at the time baking. The quarantine had just started. So I was trying to keep myself somewhat busy, keep my mind off of the inevitable. And I got a phone call saying that she was in the hospital. They didn't think she was going to make it through the night. And they also didn't know if we would even get to see her again because of COVID. And at that point in time, I'd never felt so sick to my stomach because I had not seen her since her birthday in February. So it's been two months. And once we got put into quarantine, I told myself no matter how much it hurt me, I would not go see Brianna because I didn't want to risk giving her anything. As much as it killed me, I stuck to it. And then when they gave me this phone call, all I could think of was, did I just miss out on the last couple moments I could have had with her? And I, I felt numb. Um, I'm so thankful that the nurses that are in the hospital had developed a relationship with Brianna and my stepmother because they were constantly in the hospital for those few years. So they were able to pull some strings for us um, because my stepmom was the only one who was allowed to be in the hospital with all the COVID precautions that were now in place. And they ended up driving her by ambulance back to my stepmother's apartment so that we could all be with her. And what we thought was going to be one night ended up being five. 
and I'm so grateful for that. But at the same at the same time, it was a very very challenging five nights. I feel like looking back about eight nine months later, I feel like I've repressed a lot of it because it, it was very traumatic. We were watching her every night, but she was unconscious the entire time that she was home. So we would talk to her. We would, you know, change her. Um, but she couldn't look at us. She couldn't say anything. And when she did, it would be in the middle of the night when she was screaming in terror because she could hardly breathe or she was in pain. And it's one of those moments where there's nothing you can do. And as a sister, as a big sister, it breaks your heart because all you've done your whole life for your siblings is try and give them what they need and protect them. And I couldn't do that in those moments. And, uh, that was so challenging, but we were all able to have a moment where we would go into her room, shut the door, and we got to say goodbye. And I will never, ever be more grateful for that because even though I didn't get to talk to her and hear her say anything back to me, everyone kept messaging me and saying, they can still hear you at this point of the process. They're not fully there, but they can still hear you. They can still understand, even though they're unresponsive. So I took that to heart and I said everything that I needed to say to feel as most at peace as I could. And the time came on Easter morning and she was gone. But for me, I my faith grew exponentially when I was going through my own testing process. And that just made my faith that much more stronger because she went on Easter morning. What gave me peace was knowing that, you know, Jesus rose on Easter and he took Brianna with him. It's something that I'm still trying to process, but knowing that she is no longer in pain does give me the most peace because she would have never been as happy here as she could be in a place where she is pain-free, but it doesn't mean it's not difficult. And, um, I think 2020 has really shown me that life is so fragile and everyone globally <laughs> has realized how fragile life is and that even the littlest things in the day, like, you know, when there's an extra hour of sun or you get to go for a nice walk or there's a song that you like to hear on the radio, like those little things that seem like they're not that important, they all of a sudden start to become so incredibly important because you realize that you need to stop, breathe, listen, and be thankful that God gave you another day. And I try to tell myself that on days when I'm having a little bit of a breakdown. Hey, you know what? You're human. You got another day to have a breakdown. That's good. Someone else didn't get to. Maybe tomorrow will be a better day, but you're still here. <sighs> it's it's definitely been quite quite a journey. <laughs> I would say so. But I wanted to to ask you about your health and um, the rest of your your family, like your grandfather, your father, mm -hmm. and you have other siblings, correct? Yes, it's very confusing. So <laughs> my mom and dad got divorced when I was young. I was five, and then they both got remarried. So I, when Brianna was still alive, I technically had five siblings, but they're half full and step. Um, so biologically, I only have two more siblings that are at risk, and that is my 19-year-old sister and my 12-year-old brother. And my 12-year-old brother, Brady, he's been such an incredible, I mean, he's a, I call him a young man, even though he's 12, because 
that he was also Brianna's brother and he loved that girl so much. And he took care of her because the two of them lived together with my stepmom. And, you know, at 10, 11, 12, he would be, you know, rubbing her head and helping her do her hair and helping her change her clothes and cuddling her to bed on nights when she couldn't fall asleep. And it breaks my heart that he had to grow up so quickly. But at the same time, I know that he is going to just be an incredible person for so many people. But I definitely worry about him just because knowing at 12 that you might have something that your sister just passed away from while you're trying to grieve that. That's a lot to take on at 12 years old. Yeah. So is your your 19-year-old sister, does she plan on getting tested? I know. That's like the elephant in the room. <laughs> oh. No, no, it's not. In my, so it's, it's, I would say in the HD community, there's two things that are either openly discussed or they're the elephants in the room and that's whether or not you're getting tested and then once you get tested it's whether or not you're going to have kids or if you're going to adopt or do in vitro and so for my immediate family we're pretty open about it like I said I have some extended family members who are at risk but aren't as comfortable with it which is totally fine I try to stress to everyone before they decide to get tested talk to your family talk to people you're really close to when I went through it, I would talk to a therapist about whether or not I was really ready to know. But for some people, mentally and physically, it's really not good for their well-being to know because they would stress themselves out more mentally and physically by knowing. And I'm the opposite. Like if I have it, I want to know it and I just want to attack it and be proactive. But that's not how everyone's mind works. So my sister, who's 19, when I got tested at 19, she was 15. She wanted to get tested. And at 15, legally, unless if you're showing um, symptoms, you're not supposed to get tested because, like I said, mental health suicide rates do increase once people get their Huntington's disease diagnosis. So they try to really make you wait and think about it. With Brianna, it was different because she was showing so many symptoms that they just tested her as soon as my father was tested. But Delaney originally wanted to know when she was 15. And then more recently when I talked to her, she is kind of to the point where until she is with the person she wants to marry and have children with, she doesn't want to know. And I completely understand that just because she is in college right now and she's trying to figure out life, trying to get a handle on those early 20s because she's going to be 20 soon and that's not something you want to add to the mix if you're not ready for it so I think when that person and that timing comes along where she's ready to have some kids she's definitely going to go ahead and do it but until that happens I don't see her I don't see her going through with it and how is the the health of your 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 grandfather and your father right now my grandfather he I know it sounds crazy to say He's blessed, even though he has Huntington's, but he really is. <laughs> it sounds so contradictory, but no. <laughs> he, his symptoms are so late because the average adult onset for Brie, it was different because she had the children's version, but for the adults, it's on average in thirties and forties. For my grandfather to not have symptoms until his sixties is almost unheard of. And back before there was a test, the test came out in 93 and they were, you know, tossing the idea around. He would go into his uh, physician's office and the physician would just brush it off because he would say, you know, if you're 
you know, at this age you are now, 30, 40, 50, if you don't have symptoms, you're not going to get them, which was medically not correct. But I don't expect every <laughs> general <laughs> practitioner to know the ins and outs of Huntington's because I'm still trying to figure it out. And so my grandfather went, cool, I guess I don't have it. So it wasn't until my dad started becoming symptomatic with his emotions and his behavior that my grandfather decided to get tested. And he had had some slight symptoms, but they weren't very progressive at that point. So he's now in his early 70s. And I would say he's still... he's still pretty healthy for everything given. Um, he lives with my grandmother and they take care of each other. He's not a man of many words, but even before Huntington's, he really wasn't. Um, but it's just kind of one of those things where I've heard doctors and HD professionals call it the HD mask. And basically when someone gets further along in their progression, they can go through, sometimes it's a phase, sometimes it just continues on once they progress, but it's where their emotions and their facial expressions don't align. So if they're really excited or really sad, they just have a mask on and you can't tell because their face won't show it. So he's definitely at that point where no matter what emotion he's feeling, you you aren't really able to tell. <laughs> um, but other than that, he's very healthy for his age. And some people think that that is linked to his genetic repeat. There is some evidence that shows the higher the repeats, the earlier your onset and sometimes worse your symptoms will be. But I really try not to latch onto that because they say that that's just on average true. But when I get really depressed thinking about that, because for someone who has the adult version, my number is extremely high. Like it's only a little bit below the JHD level which is terrifying. So I try not to get in my head about that because one time I did and I put out a post just being vulnerable and saying, hey, I'm really struggling with my diagnosis right now. And I ended up having about three or four people comment who have almost the exact same DNA repeat number I have and had little to no symptoms. And those three people gave me so much hope. I pray for everyone, but I just know that if I don't keep my mental health in a good place, I will stress myself out to the point where I will probably have symptoms just because your environment and your mental health, they do say, is a huge factor. Obviously, your DNA is part of that, but what you put into your body emotionally, physically, it does play a role. So in my mind, it's I'm going to keep out negativity. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to try and eat well. And I really stick to that. Like I take a ton of vitamins every day. I take a lot of like B12s from my brains and eat a lot of walnuts and berries. Do, will it help? I don't know, but I'm going to I'm just going to try. So yeah, my grandfather is on the lower end of the spectrum for the genetic repeat count. My father Again, he's mid to low range. He started showing symptoms. We're not exactly sure when, but behavioral symptoms we probably started seeing 10 years ago at least. And not everyone shows the same symptoms. I like to say HD is a snowflake. I took that from one of my friends. <laughs> His wife has Huntington's and he always says HD is a snowflake because everyone has something similar, but they also have so many things that are different. So for some people like my dad, they go through really terrible emotional mood swings and some people don't but he is one of those people who does so it would be little things growing up that would just make him tick and would make him explode and there would be no warning no reasoning and growing up that is a lot of 
what led us to believe that he had Huntington's because he would be mentally and not to myself or my siblings, but with my stepmother be like physically abusive to one another and was arrested for those types of things. When I was growing up and going to school, we always had child protective services coming into our classes and pulling us out to interview us about what was going on at our household. And now that I look back on it, knowing my dad has Huntington's, I I know that that's a sign of his progression of his Huntington's, which is super unfortunate, but it, it has given me clarity and made it easier to understand that part of my life now that I know that Huntington's was at play. Because when it was happening, I was just obviously like, what is going on? Why are you acting like this? Why are you behaving like this? But I don't think that he was always in control of his emotions and his behavior. But he at this point lives by himself. Um, He's still able to take care of himself. But when uh, Brianna started becoming super symptomatic, my stepmom and my dad separated. And just because taking care of someone with JHD is super challenging. And my stepmother also had her own personal things she needed to be strong and overcome. And then to also be having to deal with someone who has the adult version of Huntington's. It's a lot to put into one mix. So he lives by himself right now, and I try to go see him as much as possible, but he also lost his driver's license because of his cognitive decline about five years ago. So he can't go anywhere unless if he has, you know, myself or one of my sisters or an Uber come and pick him up. And luckily he has some really good neighbors that will take him out when he needs to. But for the most part... <laughs> All things considered, he's still able to function and live on his own, which I think at this point is a really big win. Right. Yeah, for sure. And I, I guess I am kind of scared to ask, but you you don't have no. any symptoms? No, I don't have any symptoms. And I thank the Lord for that every day. The only thing I've struggled with, but I, again, I've struggled with this my whole life, is my mental health. My mom had me go into therapy when her and my dad were getting divorced when I was five and I've gone on and off for almost 20 years now. So uh, it's just something that I've always kind of struggled with, but I, I still never forget there was a Huntington's disease neurologist who was giving a presentation and he was talking about symptoms and onset and how sometimes you can be in your head about it. And the fact that, you know, There are women who, when they stress because they've missed their cycle and think that they're pregnant, they convince their body that they are, and they somehow show symptoms even though they're not pregnant. And it's kind of the same thing. If you think about it too much and you stress yourself out, you can think you're showing symptoms if maybe you're not. And so for me, it was always, is is my mental health part of the HD or is it just part of life and being a 20-year-old? And uh I should say 24 year old, but you know what I mean? (laughs) In my twenties, being a young person, but a lot of people struggle with mental health, unfortunately, but we're also a lot more open about it now, which I think is amazing. And he basically said, think about everyone in the world who struggles with mental health. Not every single one of them is experiencing an onset of Huntington's disease. So some things are just you being a normal human being. So that's something I have to replay in my head every time I start to psych myself out about being depressed. But then I go, okay, well, think of all things considered, it's probably normal. (laughs) Right. And that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Life throws you its own things to be. Absolutely. Anxious about. 
So how would you describe HD? Oh, man. I would say it's, it's brought so much meaning to my life because even though it terrifies me and it's taken so much from myself and so many people, like I said earlier, it gives me, it gives me a meaning for life, why I'm here, why certain things have happened the way that they do. You know, I, I try to put all my faith in God, even when I don't know why things are happening the way that they are. But I think that I wouldn't appreciate the life that I have nearly as much as I do now if these circumstances weren't brought into my life. When I came home from Belmont and Nashville, when I first went to Belmont, I felt so lost because I was a young teen, you know, 18, going to college. Everyone's trying to make it in the music industry. And once you get into this big fancy school with a lot of other kids who are trying to do the same thing, but might have more money and more connections than you, you kind of start to just feel like you have no purpose. And why am I here? Why am I trying to do the things I'm trying to do in life? And once I had to go through these hurdles, I finally started to realize, okay, whether it's through my nonprofit, whether it's through competing in the Miss America organization, whether it's through performing songs that I wrote like Champion. If I am somehow telling my story in any form and impacting other people, then that's what my purpose is. So even though it's been one of the most daunting (laughs) chapters of my life, it's also been the most growth I've ever experienced. And in a weird way, I'm grateful for it. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Like, I guess, what would you want people to know about Huntington's? I would say that it doesn't define the people who have it. Um, I think a lot of times people feel like when they get a label put on them, like Huntington's or another type of disease or mental health illness, they start to feel like that's all they're defined by. That's all that their life is, is I have Huntington's, I have depression, I have bipolar, but there's people behind those diseases and they just want to be seen. That was one of the things with my sister was even though she had juvenile Huntington's, I I always just saw her as Brianna. I think that that's something that sometimes gets lost when you're dealing with something so so incredibly challenging. Um, But I would just say that there's people behind a diagnosis and it definitely makes them so much stronger. I've never met anyone stronger than my sister or even my stepsister was a two-time cancer survivor. So I guess I would have to say the two of them are the strongest people I've ever met. And I think that that's what makes that's so beautiful is people who go through something like that. They just, they're so incredibly grateful and strong. All right. So what can, what can people do to support HD? Well, if you'd like to get involved, there's so many nonprofits. Uh, I don't want to just promote mine because there's a lot of incredible ones. I also am on the Huntington's Disease Society of America 
Michigan chapter board. I work with their youth outreach. So they're an incredible organization. They do a lot of the actual outreach and resources, hold a lot of educational events nationwide. So they are probably the biggest one in the United States. There's also another one called Help Cure HD. And their story makes me so happy because they are a couple. He's at risk of HD. His mom has it. And they started in a nonprofit specifically to help families who want to have children through in vitro fertilization to pay for it. And that's awesome because I've looked into that because I am in a very serious relationship, eventually want to get married and have children. And it's not inexpensive to do in vitro. And there's no guarantee that you'll actually get pregnant on the very first, second or third try. So they are helping finance those procedures. And then, of course, my nonprofit, Champions for HD, we focus on two main things, and that is families and research. I wanted to start it because I watched my family struggle to go through trying to get disability, trying to pay the bills, trying to pay for Brianna being in the hospital. You wouldn't imagine the amount of times I get people who come to me and say, this month I have to choose between paying for my husband's medical bills or keeping the lights on and food on our table. And no one should ever have to choose between that. That shouldn't be an additional stressor in their life or I am fighting to get disability, but my legal bills are $2,000. Just things like that that add up so quickly. So we have helped in the past two and a half years, about 50 families right now, we're just about to hit 50. We've raised $25,000 and we've also raised money for a specific local nonprofit who does HD research. Again, I don't know science, but basically they're using some type of genetic mutation in sheep that are affected by this other uh, mutation, which I can't think of what it's called right now, but they ultimately want to either have it as a treatment or a cure for Huntington's disease. And they explained it that it would be similar to how a diabetic uses a pump, but it would be for Huntington's disease. So it's not as invasive as some other current HD research trials going on right now. I mean, I'll take anything that gets approved, but this one is not invasive. It is pretty simple. It's just that they don't have the finances for it because they've tried to partner with a lot of big pharma, big tech, but with that comes a price tag. They want to know how much they're going to make off of backing you and partnering with you. And the people who are behind the shepherd's gift don't want HD families to be pulling money out of their pockets just to get treatment. So because of that, they don't have the money to finance it at this point. They told me a year ago that if they had $10 million, they could move this process along within a couple of years, which to me, $10 million, that's a lot of money. I don't know if I'll ever see $10 million, but for medicine, that's a drop in the bucket. So as soon as I heard that, I said, okay, I'm going to do anything in my power to raise money for you guys and support you. We try to emphasize both the family and the research because I couldn't pick just one. (laughs) Like the research we need for the cure, but that doesn't mean that the families who are struggling right now should be neglected. So that's why we've been so focused on both facets of it because I think both things are just as important as the other. But our website is just championsforhd.org and we have places you can donate, you can volunteer. We actually have a podcast and people can come on 
and speak there. We've had six episodes in 2020, so I got to step up my game in 2021. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's just, it's been incredible to see all of the resources, all of the support and all of the research that's going on for Huntington's disease right now. And you're also an amazing musician. So where can people <laughs> go to find your music and support you and your Thank music? You. Well, you guys are going to give me the push. Maybe uh, 2021 will be the year I get back in the studio. But I have a website, Shelby Lentz, L-E-N-T-Z dot com. And on there, I have links to iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, pretty much anywhere you can stream it. My music will be there and hopefully I can grace everyone with new music. <laughs> awesome. Well, is there anything else that you wanted to add about Huntington's or your story? Well, First of all, I just want to say thank you so much. This has been very fun. <laughs> I haven't been on a podcast probably in a couple of years. I've just been hosting them. So it's, it's fun to be on the other end. <laughs> well, thank thank you for doing it. I really appreciate it. And I, I appreciate you sharing your story, but I am also just incredibly impressed by you at 24 that you are just spreading awareness and the fact that you have a nonprofit is just incredible and that you're just doing so much good and just taking the positive side of this and, and running with it when you've just experienced so much loss is, is just incredible. So I think that's amazing and I think it's really cool what you're doing. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. But I appreciate <laughs> you sharing your story and I'm going to donate to champions for hd and i hope that a lot of other people do i will like include the link and stuff too absolutely yeah it's just championsforhd.org slash donate okay awesome thank you so much this is this is incredible i'm so grateful that you found me through that video who would have thought <laughs> yeah it's kind of crazy how things happen so but anyway so take care and it was really nice chatting with you thank you so much it's nice to chat with you too Shelby, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your story and for being a voice and a light for the HD community. And if you guys want to help support families impacted by HD and help find a cure for Huntington's, please go to championsforhd.org and donate or see if you can volunteer. Just see how you can help make an impact. Also, check out Shelby's music. You can find her on YouTube, on Facebook, on Instagram, and let's help support Shelby as well. And if you want to support Know What I Heard, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Like the Facebook page at Know What I Heard Podcast. Like us on Instagram. If you have any questions, show ideas, comments, anything at all, send me an email at knowwhatiheard at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. Stay safe, stay healthy, and until next time, hey, know what I heard? <laughs>